And now, coming to you from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting throughout the multiverse, the Nine Realms, Niflheim, Svartalfheim, Olympus, Nidaveller, basically anywhere that has the internet, really, we proudly present Radio Free Asgard. You are tuned to Radio Free Asgard, episode number 243. Thor and Girod. Lend me your falcon skin, Loki said. Frigg smiled and nodded, then her maidservant Fula fetched the feather coat and draped it over Loki's shoulders. That's the trouble, said Loki, leering at Frigg and then at Fula. These things so easily won, barely worth winning. With that, he tied on the skin and flew round Fenselir and out of the door. The Sky Traveler was bored with a string of days in Asgard that unwound without a knot or a twist in them. He headed for Jotunheim, and sometime after he had crossed the Iving came to a circle of green fields that he had never seen before. They were enclosed by a jumble of silver and gray rock that stretched for as far as the eye could see. A hall stood there, and Loki swooped and settled on a window ledge. The Sky Traveler peered in and saw a giant and his two daughters feasting in that hall. The giant, Girod, peered out and saw a handsome hawk sitting on the window ledge. "'Catch that bird!' said the giant. "'Bring it to me!' Loki's eyes gleamed, and when one of Girod's servants came out of the hall, he hopped up to the top of the wall, just out of his reach. Girod's servant got a foothold on the window ledge and stretched out a hand to snare the hawk, but the Sky Traveler had no intention of allowing himself to be caught. He hopped up the side of the roof until he stood at the top, near the chimney hole, and he gave a mocking screech. He saw no point in flying off until he had forced the giant servant to climb onto the steep roof where there were no handholds and risk his life. Once again, the servant reached out and Loki thought it was time to take to the air. He spread his wings. He stood poised. But then, to his dismay, Loki found that he was unable to move. His two feet were fixed to the thatch like branches to the trunk of a tree, and Loki knew what kind of a giant it was that he had to deal with. So the servant grabbed the hawk and brought him in to his master, Girod. I'll put jesses on him, Girod boomed. I'll feed him in his fetters, offer him mere morsels until he's trained to my hand. The servant put the hawk into the giant's cupped hands and Girod grasped it and looked at it. Loki's eyes were red and green and subtle. This is no hawk, said Girod to his daughters, Gjalp and Gripe. This is some being in disguise. Look at his eyes. The giant squeezed the bird in his horny hand. Who are you? he demanded. Loki said nothing. Girod squeezed again until Loki felt that he had been molded into one solid mass. He gasped and screeched, but still he said nothing. Hunger opens the mouth, said Girod, getting up from his seat and striding across the hall. He unlocked a huge chest, thrust the hawk into it, slammed down the lid, and locked it again. For three months, Loki sat in darkness. He had nothing to eat. He fouled his own nest. He breathed stale air. 
he began to feel extremely sorry for himself. And he became so weak from hunger that he could not call out loudly enough to make himself heard. Or else if they did hear him, Giraud and his daughters chose to ignore him. At the end of three months, Giraud opened the chest and pulled out the hawk. Long enough, was all he said. The hawk blinked and looked around. Not long enough, said Giraud. Loki, said the hawk. Ah, exclaimed Giraud. He took an even firmer grip on his victim. Loki, he repeated and smiled. The sky traveler looked longingly towards the hall door, but the giant had much too firm a hold on him for any chance of escape. Well, Loki, said the giant, do you want to live any longer? Loki listened. We can make this bargain, said Giraud. If you swear an oath that you will bring Thor to this hall without his hammer or his belt of strength, I'll spare your life. When Loki said nothing, Giraud began the terrible squeezing again, and it was plain that he did not mean to stop. So Loki saw that he had no choice but to agree. He swore to bring Thor to Giraud's hall. Then Giraud let Loki eat as much as he wanted. The Sky Traveler scowled at Giraud and yelp and gripe, spread his wings, and flew home to Asgard. Thor and Loki had a great liking for each other's company and often traveled together through the Nine Worlds. Once they were walking through the rocky uplands to the east of Asgard, and trusting as he was, Thor suspected nothing when Loki said they need travel only a little further across green meadows springing underfoot to visit the giant Girod. Thor said he had never heard of Girod. He's rather ugly, said Loki, but he has two attractive daughters. He'd like to meet you and you'd like to meet them. Thor puckered his mouth, wishing he had brought his hammer Mjolnir and his girdle of strength in case things did not turn out too well. What's more, said Loki, we can stay with Greed tonight. Her door is always open. Thor liked the sound of that. Odin went in through it. Vidar came out through it, said Loki gleefully, raising his eyebrows. Thor kept walking, and before nightfall the two of them crossed the river Iving, and Greed welcomed them into her hall. Not long after supper, Loki spread out some straw and fell asleep. In the flickering firelight, his expression seemed to change from moment to moment, light and dark, gay and grim. Now that Loki is asleep, said Greed, let me tell you the truth about Girod. Thor looked at the giantess drunkenly. Listen, said Grid. Girod has little love for the gods, and even less for the god who killed Hrungnir. But that was me, exclaimed Thor. That's what I'm saying, said Grid sharply. Listen, Girod is as cunning as a fox. He'll be a worthy enemy even for you. He will let you walk into his hall and arrange for you to be carried out of it. Thor wished the ale mist would clear from his head. He kept screwing up his eyes, then opening them wide and rolling them round and round. Go if you must, said Grid, but go well armed. I'll lend you my own weapons. Then the giantess gave Thor her belt of strength, her iron gloves, and unbreakable staff. Thor thanked her and fell asleep. The next morning, Thor and Loki left Grid's hall and continued their journey. Loki looked at Thor's weapons and wondered what Grid had said to him after he had fallen asleep. 
Thor looked at Loki and wondered how much he knew about Girod. After a while, the two gods came to the Vimur, a wild torrent of water and menstrual blood. The face of the river was broken by torn rocks and grazed by more rock just under the surface. It frothed and hissed as it hurried downstream. Thor secured the belt of strength and told Loki to hang on to it. Then he grasped a green staff and, putting his weight on it, began to wade across the river. The pebbles were slippery underfoot, dogfish tickled his ankles, and Thor was soon in up to his waist. Loki's head was only just above the surface. By the time the two gods were midstream, Loki had his arms round Thor's neck. The river was breaking over Thor's shoulders and seemed to be rising all the time. Thor cursed and shouted at the river, You cannot stop me on my way to the giants! However high you rise, I'll rise higher! I'll rise as high as heaven! Thor paused to regain his breath and looked upstream into a rocky ravine. And there he saw the cause of their hardship. Girod's daughter, Gyalp, was standing astride the torrent, and blood was streaming from her, increasing the depth of the river. Aha! shouted Thor. He stooped, ducked, and gouged a rock from the riverbed. A river must be damned in its source, he called, and with huge strength he hurled the hunk of rock at Gyalp. He aimed well. Gyalp was maimed. She howled and dragged herself back to her father's hall. At that moment, the power of the torrent was so great that Thor was swept off his feet, with Loki still clinging to his neck. As he was carried downstream, he grabbed a hold of a rowan tree growing in the river, and it held firm in the river bed. Thor recovered his footing, and from there he was able to make his way into the shallows, and so at last onto the far bank. That rowan tree saved our lives, said Thor. After a while, the two gods went on their way and late in the afternoon they reached Girod's hall. Girod himself was nowhere about, but their arrival was clearly expected, for a giant servant welcomed them, and offered to show them where they would be sleeping. Thor and Loki readily accepted. They were tired and caked with mud and blood after their journey. Then the servant led the gods through the outhouses to a gloomy, rank goat shed. It was furnished with a heap of rotten straw and a single chair, Thor bristled at such an insult. Nevertheless, he said nothing. He thought he would bide his time until he came face to face with Girod himself. Loki took himself off to wash in the stream that ran past Girod's hall, and Thor sat down in the chair. He clenched his fist around Grin's staff, and then he yawned. His fatigue got the better of his anger, and he began to drowse. When Thor closed his eyes, it was not long before he imagined he was crossing the river Vimur again, losing his foothold, flailing in the bloody water, floating. Thor opened his eyes and at once saw the reason for his dream. He was indeed floating once more. He was rising in his chair towards the rafters of the goat shed and was close to being driven against them head first. Thor gripped Grid's staff with both hands. He raised it and rammed it against the roof tree and pushed with all of his strength thrust so hard that whatever was beneath him hoisting him toward the roof could not resist him and gave way. Thor fell back to the ground with a great crash, and screams shook the shed. Gjalp and Greip, Girod's two daughters, had been hiding under the chair when Thor first sat in it and tried to crush him to death. They themselves suffered the fate that they had planned for the Thunder God. Thor's massive weight was more than their bone chambers could withstand. Their ribcages were smashed, their backs were broken died in agony. 
It was not long before Loki returned from the stream, and shortly after the giant servant stood outside the shed and shouted that Girod was waiting for Thor in the hall. He has it in mind to challenge you to a game or two, he said. Thor needed no further warning. He put on Green's belt of strength and iron gauntlets, and then he and Loki made their way back through the outhouses to Girod's hall. Thor was surprised to see that in place of the usual single fires, there was a string of huge furnaces right down the length of the hall. The turf walls glowed, and lofty as it was, the room was rather too warm for comfort. Girod was waiting for his guests at the far end of the hall. As soon as one of his servants had closed the door behind the gods, Girod stepped forward with his hand outstretched. This was not to greet Thor, but was to pick up a pair of tongs. Girod gripped a large ball of red-hot iron between the tongs. Welcome, he shouted and aimed the ball straight at Thor. Thor saw it coming. He dropped his staff, raised both hands, and caught the red-hot ball in his iron gloves. He did not move. His eyes flamed, his red beard bristled. Everyone in the hall scrambled under the tables, and Girod himself quickly stepped back behind one of the hall supports, an iron pillar. Then Thor raised his right hand. The ball had begun to smoke. He took one step forward and put all of his strength into hurling it down the hall. The ball punched a hole through the iron support, then it passed through the giant Girod's midriff. It punctured the end wall and lodged in the earth's slope outside. Girod fell backwards. He hissed as if all the venom bottled inside him were escaping. Then suddenly he gave a violent jerk, gurgled, and was dead. Then Thor picked up Green's staff and began to lay about him. While Loki took the chance of slipping out of the hall unnoticed, the Thunder Gods smashed the skulls of all the dolts who had waited on Girod and his daughters. That was that. Thor strode out of the silent hall and looked at the jumble of rocks around him. He thought he remembered words about green meadows springing underfoot and talk of two attractive daughters. Thor shook his head and vowed to settle the score with two-faced Loki. Quite the interesting story here. This, of course, being the adaptation from Kevin Crossley Holland's The Norse Myths and was a, a combination of two of the old versions of the story that still exist. This was a popular story back in the Middle Ages, and so we actually have no fewer than four versions that have survived from antiquity. Um, I think that, that what Holland did, as he did with a lot of these stories, was took the ones that were the most detailed and combined them and syncretized them, and that was kind of what, what uh, Kevin Crossley Holland was doing. Obviously, solo stories about Thor are ones that people tend to like in the show because they're, they're interested in Thor, and unfortunately, there's not too many of them where, where Thor actually gets to do a lot solo. Obviously, he's not quite solo because Loki's in the story too, and it's a good example here of one of the stories where Loki and Thor are friends, and you know, Loki obviously was doing his, you know, his intrigue, but it w didn't seem to be in an attempt to, to get Thor killed or hurt. I, I think that it was more, you know, he had to do it for his own 
for his own revenge against the giant. I mean, obviously, Girod caused him a lot of trouble, and I think that Loki knew that taking Thor there was likely to end in Girod's death. I mean, Thor being no fan of the giants in general, and ones that didn't like him in particular. Obviously, we have a lot of fertility imagery here, a river of water and menstrual blood. This harkens back to shamanic traditions of Scandinavia and uh, something about uh, women menstruating in the river and screaming. Uh, I know it sounds a little strange, but that is basically you know, something that, that is from Norse lore, at least from the folklore, and, and not something that's written down. There's definitely a, uh, a precedent for it in Norse culture. So while it seems extremely weird and kind of gross to us, I think that the, the ancient Norse people listening to this listening to the story would probably recognize this and recognize the uh, the symbology of it. This is the only myth in which Frigg has been demonstrated to have a hawk skin. That was actually Freya who had hawk skin in prior stories, so that's uh, interesting. And another interesting piece of lore we have is the Rowan tree. Now, the Rowan tree is a big deal in Celtic mythology. And indeed, if you go to Ireland, you, you often will see uh, Rowan trees that are planted close to where the, the fairy folk live. Um, this is actually a, a symbol in, in Ireland of the fairy folk. And of course, has some resonance into the Norse mythology as well. So again, we have little details. I find those little details to be really interesting. And equally interesting when you know that there are other mythologies from the same general part of the world that hold these plants or these rocks or, or animals or whatever it is in the same kind of mythic regard. It obviously points back to the proto-culture that spawned all of them, the sort of the Indo-Aryan uh, culture that, that spawned most of the European cultures. So again, it's always neat when you catch a little glimpse of that. So I like the story a lot. Um, now, we are starting to run out of stories, and I, I mentioned on the Facebook page that there is a new adaptation of The Norsemiths coming out, this one, of course, being adapted by Neil Gaiman. And I'm a big fan of Gaiman's work. I've loved him ever since I discovered his work. I uh, was reading Sandman back at the very beginning, and after a few issues of that, about five issues in, it finally grabbed me and, and refused to let me go. And so... For years, I've been a fan of Neil Gaiman, and, and I think that uh, it'll be a lot of fun to cover Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology book, which just came out over the past couple of weeks. So um, I'm going to be working on getting myself a copy. But we still have a couple of, of stories left out of this book, just two, but they're big ones. So it, it'll be interesting. All right, so with that, it is time to wrap up the show. Thanks again, folks, for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you want to email the show, you can certainly do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just look for us on Facebook, Radio Free Asgard, and you will find us. And we are now on Google Play, so you can find us on Google Play as well as Stitcher and iTunes and the aggregators of your choice. And with that, I am back over the, uh, no, not the river, no. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard.
You have been listening to Radio Free Asgard, a production of Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The Mighty Thor and all associated characters are mostly copyright Marvel Comics. The stories presented are done so for educational, review, and entertainment purposes only. No ownership is implied. The silly voices, however, well, they're all me. Musical selections from Eden, the invincible sword of the Elfsmith, are copyright Mott's Vent and are used with permission. If you like what you've heard on the show, we hope you'll leave us a review on iTunes, tell your friends, or even join our Facebook group. We really love hearing from our listeners, and we appreciate all of your support. Thanks once again very much for listening to Radio Free Asgard.